The How Is This Movie podcast is supported by listeners just like you. Go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. There you can pledge as little as a dollar a month and help us maintain the goal of keeping this show fully independent and free of advertising. You will also gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else. Once again, that's patreon.com slash howisthismovie. And now for our featured presentation. Hello everyone and welcome to How Is This Movie? My name is Dana Buckler and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at How Is This Movie. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash howisthismovie. You can always email me with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and subscribe and or leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen. And finally, I need to take a moment and say thank you to Mike Lafferty for becoming a monthly Patreon supporter. Thanks, Mike. In 1978, the Richard Donner-directed Superman, the movie, was released in theaters. The film was a massive hit, taking in over $300 million at the box office. It was the first real comic book film, and the first to make that kind of money. Sure, purists can always cite the theatrically released Batman the movie in 1966, starring the now-late Adam West, rest in peace, and Burt Ward. But to be fair, that film only took in $1.8 million at the box office, so... I think it's safe to say that 1978 Superman was the first, well, real comic book film adaptation to have that type of major impact at the box office. Now, the interesting thing about the first Superman was that when it was being filmed, the sequel was being shot simultaneously. The producers, Alexander and Elian Salkin, put up $55 million of their own money and paid Richard Donner 100000 to do both films at the same time. When the first Superman film was released, Donner was almost done shooting the sequel. However... A very public feud between Donner and the Salkins caused Donner to exit the sequel before it was finished, leaving the sequel in a little bit of limbo. Now, the Salkins quickly hired British director Richard Lester to finish shooting the film. Now, to really put a knife in the back of Richard Donner, they okayed major reshoots. Now, the director's union mandated that in order for a film to be credited as having just one director, that director would have to shoot more than 50% of the movie. So even though there's a good chunk of Donner scenes that wound up in the sequel, he received no credit for it. The hiring of Richard Lester also created a rift between several of the actors, with Gene Hackman outright refusing to participate in any of the Superman 2 reshoots. Lester ended up using body doubles in place of Hackman, and his voice was poorly dubbed over certain scenes. When Superman 2 was finally finished and released in 1981, the film took in $190 million. That, of course, was considered a huge success. You see, in those days, sequels were never expected to do better than the original film, and critics were also very positive towards Superman 2. The film still holds 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. However, there were some grumblings that some of the humor in Superman 2 felt a little cheap and forced. Now, side note to this. In 2006, Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, was released, with much of the original footage he shot restored into the film. It's honestly a completely different film, devoid of much of the slapstick humor that Lester shot. So with a $190 million haul, 
there was no doubt that the Salkins would greenlight a sequel to the film. This time around, the Salkins hired Richard Lester from the start and gave him, well, pretty much carte blanche to make the film as he saw fit. Now, the Salkins were really looking to add more humor to the third Superman film. And while watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson one night in 1981, the Salkins saw comedian Richard Pryor on the show. He was on the show describing in great detail the plot of Superman 2 and just how much he loved it and he was filled with so much energy. The Salkins were so impressed with Pryor's enthusiasm for the film that they offered him a part in Superman 3. And I don't mean a small part. No, I mean practically a leading role. Some may argue that he was actually the star of the film, with Christopher Reeve playing second fiddle to Richard Pryor. Superman 3 was greenlit with a $39 million budget, and principal photography was done in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Now, true to the tone of the Richard Lester version of Superman 2, Lester doubled down on the slapstick comedy and put a real emphasis on Pryor improvising as much of his scenes as possible. When the film was released in 1983, it was hit with scathing reviews. In particular, Leonard Maltin said of the film, and I'm paraphrasing, that Superman 3 was an appalling sequel that trashed everything great about the first two films with cheap slapstick humor. I have to agree with Malton on that one. I rewatched the film this past weekend, and man, oh man, is it bad. To say the film was full of cheap laughs is an understatement. Now, to be fair, Pryor does have a couple genuine laugh-out-loud moments, but they are always overshadowed by scenes like this. As you were! Now listen up! I just came in directly from the Pentagon... And you better believe there's a damn good reason that I did. Because God has given us one of the greatest gifts in the world. Chemicals. Now you people, you like to go sit in church on Sunday, don't you? Yeah. You like to sit and watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. Sit on what? You sit on molded plastic seats molded to your well-fed behinds now i don't have to tell you that america leads the world in high-grade plastics we cannot afford a chemical plastics gap now listen to me do you want our president of the united states sitting down to write a peace treaty and have his ballpoint pen bust open and the ink run out all over his nice clean pants in front of the world leaders? Now we all know that last week half of this great nation of ours almost bit the bullet if it wasn't for this man here. The Superman. Yeah. Superman, you saved our bacon, and I'd like to show our gratitude. This is a small token of our appreciation to show to you for saving us from a chemical plant disaster. Thank you very much, General. It's very nice. Thank you. Superman 3 took in 80 million. Now, that's technically listed as a modest success, but for the Salkins, 
who were extremely proud of the work they accomplished with the first two films, Superman 3 was considered a black eye to them. And if they were going to move forward with another film, they would have to make a drastic change. Going back to the mid-1970s, when the Salkins were securing the rights to Superman from DC, as part of the deal, they also received rights to Supergirl. Although they had no initial plans to produce a film based on that property, nonetheless, they had the rights. And after the lackluster return of Superman 3, the decision was made to change course and make Supergirl into a feature film. The Salkins first enlisted the help of screenwriter David O'Dell to write the screenplay. The story was to be set in the same universe as the first three Superman films, but was to be a complete contained story with only the occasional mild reference to the other films. O'Dell wrote a screenplay that opens with a group of Kryptonian refugees living in a utopian world called Argo City, where they never age and live in absolute peace. When Argo City's power source is lost, it's up to one of their own to set out on a mission to find the power source. Enter Kara, the distant cousin of Karlel, aka Superman. Kara discovers that the power source has made its way to Earth and journeys there to find it. That's pretty much the opening plot details of the film. I'll, I'll hold off on telling too much more because I'm, I'm working on the assumption that many of you haven't seen this film, and you'll understand why later on. And if you have, like me, maybe it's been many years. When I rewatched it yesterday, it was the first time in over 25 years since I saw the film. And it was like watching it for the first time, but I'll get to that in a little later on. With a finished screenplay, the Salkins once again tried to hire Richard Lester. However, Lester turned down the job. French-American filmmaker Jeanneau Swarzak was hired. Now, he had pretty much been a journeyman filmmaker whose biggest directing credit to that point was Jaws 2. However, it should be noted that he came on board that project more than two months into filming after the first director of Jaws 2 was fired. With the director in place, the Salkins set out to cast the film. Now, even though this was technically going to be the, the fourth film in the Superman universe, the Salkins attempted to sort of replicate the moves they made when they were in pre-production for the first Superman. First, they would hire some very high-profile and well-regarded actors to fill out the supporting roles, and then cast a complete unknown in the lead role. Now, what I mean by that is, in the first film, they hired, of course, Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman, both of whom were major movie stars, and then cast Christopher Reeves, who was virtually unknown to everyone. Attempting to really stack the deck again, the Salkins hired Faye Dunaway, Mia Farrow, Peter Cook, and Peter O'Toole. Faye Dunaway was cast as Selina, a power-hungry practicing witch who discovers the missing power source. Okay, I'm going to say the name of the power source just once. The Omega Hedron. Okay, so she discovers it and realizes that she can use the power source to bring her black magic to another level. Now, Faye Dunaway had starred in many notable films such as Bonnie and Clyde, Chinatown, and Mummy Dearest, just to name a few. Side note, Dolly Parton was actually offered this role and offered almost $7 million to play it. But she passed, stating that she could just never play a witch, no matter how much money was offered. Peter Cook plays Nigel, a warlock who is just absolutely obsessed with Selina, and tries to help her and enhance her magic every turn of the way. This is, of course, before she discovers the power source. Peter Cook was a renowned British satirist and actor. He had appeared in several films throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s, including The Wrong Box, the original Bedazzled film that he plays the devil in that one. I'm not talking about the Brendan Fraser film. And The Adventures of Barry McKenzie. Now, another side note, Dudley Moore was offered the role of Nigel, but he turned it down. It was Dudley Moore that suggested Peter Cook for the role. Some more champagne, my dear Selina? What are you thinking about? 
Such a pretty world. I can't wait until it's all mine. The only way you can rule the world is to become invisible, my pumpkin. Invisible? You'd almost know how to make me invisible. Oh, I do know. Take five black beans on the head of a dead man. Place one bean in his mouth, two beans in his eyes, then... Nigel, enough. But it works. Then you can get anywhere, do anything. Nigel, how long have we been together? Oh, months, darling. Then why does it seem like years? Because you're so impatient. You want everything yesterday. It takes a lifetime to discover the secrets of black magic from the ancient grimoires. Now, Mia Farrow is in the film. She has a really small role. She plays the mother of Kara. Now, her breakout movie, of course, was 1968, Rosemary's Baby. Other roles included See No Evil, The Great Gatsby, and Follow Me. Now, that brings us to the Marlon Brando level of casting. Of course, I mean Peter O'Toole. What can you say about this actor that hasn't already been said? In his career, he was nominated no less than seven times for Best Actor. Now, ironically, he never actually won any of those awards, and he currently holds the record for most Best Actor nominations without winning. Now, probably his biggest role, his most well-known role, would be that of T.E. Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia. Now, in Supergirl, Peter O'Toole plays Zoltar. Yes, that's easily one of the most ridiculous cinematic names of all time, but look, it's Peter fucking O'Toole. Oh, it is beautiful. What's that going to be, Zoltar? I think a tree. A tree. What is a tree? A lovely thing which grows on Earth. Earth? You mean where my cousin went? Mm, And where one day soon perhaps I might venture as well. I don't believe you. How? In that. Through that. The binary shoot, but you could never survive the pressure. It would destroy you. Zip, zap, and I'm gone. But you'd never leave us, Zoltar. You'd never leave Argo City. Indeed I might, Kara. Too much of a good thing here. Perhaps I'll try Saturn instead. Yes, I think I might. Saturn is. Is that further away than Earth? Silly question. Did you not study six-dimensional geometry at school? Do they not teach you anything anymore? Well, of course they do. Uh, I know the equations. can't see him in my head. Most great artists find mathematics troublesome, Cara. Only use your imagination. Mm-hmm. Saturn and Earth are in outer space, but we, we are in inner space. Our city has two great power sources. This is one of them. Look. An Omega Hedron. The Guardians let you have it? Not exactly. I borrowed it. You stole it. Oh, Zoltar, no, we're going to take... borrowed it for the afternoon. Now, to keep some continuity between the first three films and Supergirl, two things were added. First, the Salkins had Mark McClure reprise his role of Jimmy Olsen, and Maureen Tiffey was cast to play Lucy Lane, the younger sister of Lois Lane. Open up, Lane. I know you're in there. 
I'm not decent, Mr. Danvers, sir. And you never will be either, you little liar. Come on in, come on in. I haven't got all year. No. I'm supposed to have a single this term. We don't always get what we want, Miss Lane. Disappointments thicken our skins. Who wants thick skin? <clears throat> I'm Linda Lee. Hi. Oh, hi. I'm Lucy Lane. Lucy Lee? This is Linda Lane. No, it isn't. What? She's Linda Lee and I'm... Lucy Lane. You two know each other. Oh, no, we just met. When? Just now. But we've known each other for years, haven't we, Linda? Oh, gee, I don't think I... Oh, of course, the Daily Planet, of course. Linda's cousin works there. And your sister, what's her name? The one that's always calling me and bothering me. Lois. Ah, yes, that's the one. Anyway, uh, show our new Miss Lee around, Miss Lane. Oh, by the way, she's an orphan. But don't let her play on your sympathies. Hmm? So who's your cousin? Clark Kent. You're kidding me. Clark Kent's your cousin? You're putting me on. You know him? Do I know him? Does my sister know him? Now that's the big question. Oh, I see. I guess if they worked at the same newspaper, they must know each other. Well. Is this where I'll sleep? Well, this is your bed, but we don't sleep around here. Non-stop excitement in this storm. All the real dementals are sent here. <laughs> so, when's the rest of your stuff arriving? I don't have any other stuff. What, it's all in that little bag? Oh, well, you see, I have the means to buy more. It's just, well, I just haven't had the chance since... got something going with the big guy. Hey, listen, you can borrow any of my clothes anytime you want. Just dig in and help yourself. Thank you. You're very kind. He's a real character. A real hunk. I'll introduce you to him someday if we wind up getting along. For the lead role, the Salkins auditioned more than 30 actresses, including Demi Moore and Brooke Shields. But interestingly, the first actress to actually audition was the one who got the part, then 19-year-old Helen Slater. Now, Slater had one acting credit to her name in a role in an ABC after-school special. Now, if you're not sure what an after-school special is, you're young. Google it. The producers liked Slater enough during her auditions to fly her to England for a series of screen tests. Now, keep this in mind. The role she was testing for was that of Linda Lee. In fact, Slater didn't even know that Linda Lee was Supergirl until the fourth screen test. After she completed her final screen test, the director and producers told her right before she was to return to the United States that she had in fact gotten the part. Where am I? Who are you? Kara. Kara? What happened? Well, you got hit on the head by a coconut. Huh? Mm. What's with the Halloween costume? This is not a costume. These are my clothes. What do you mean? Look, I, I have to go now. 
I will come back for you later, I promise. I've just got to get back to the amusement park. Amusement park? Linda! I got to find Linda. She was in trouble. Well, Linda's all right. She can take care of herself. No, 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 she can't. Something's wrong. She's in big trouble, and I love her. I love her. Yeah, I do love her. I have to go, Ethan. Goodbye. Yeah, so do I. Hey. I told you, Linda can take care of herself. You just flew over my head, didn't I'll you? I'll go back there that. and I'll take care of everything, so I don't worry about it. I said you just flew over my head, true or false? True. Like Superman. He's my cousin. <laughs> He's your cousin? Yes. I shouldn't be telling you this, though. I'm here on. Wait a minute, wait one minute. I mean, you can do the whole number, leap tall buildings at a single bound? You can look right through things? Yes. Bend steel bars? Yes. Whoa. Oh, Selena, I have to go. Selena has oh, wait, the Omega head. Please, take me with you. I have to find Linda. Now, just like Christopher Reeves, Slater had to go through a rigorous workout regimen in preparation for the role, working out three hours a day for three months straight. Now, the reason for this was because Helen Slater was going to be hoisted by cranes and wires day in and day out for numerous flying sequences. Remember, this is pre-CGI. And with the exception of some pretty shoddy green screen flying sequences in the film, in most cases when you see Slater up in the air flying around, doing backflips and whatnot, that's really her tethered to a crane. It was planned for Christopher Reeve to make a cameo appearance as Superman in the film, but due to scheduling conflicts, he was not available to appear in the film. It is referenced in Supergirl that he is on a diplomatic mission on another planet, and that explains his absence from the film. Now, with the cast in place, the whole production moved to Pinewood Studios in England. Now, this is where 85% of the film was shot, and in fact, the town that's featured in the movie was purpose-built on the back lot of Pinewood. So this is where things get a little bit complicated, and just bear with me. Now, the Salkins completely financed the film, putting up the $35 million budget. However, this goes back to what I talked about in my Superman podcast episode, when we talk about negative pickup deals. Now, this is where the studio, in this case Warner Brothers, agrees to buy the film for an agreed amount. Warner Brothers would then own the distribution rights to the film through the negative pickup deal. So, in a sense, they owned it, and they decided when the film was going to be released. Now, Warner Brothers made it very clear that they wanted to release this film during the summer, and they had a date in mind. However, the Salkins wanted to release the film during the holiday season, and this sort of created a bit of a rift between Warner Brothers and the Salkins. Now, things drastically changed after the final numbers came in for Superman 3. Warner Brothers opted out of the distribution of the film and axed the negative pickup deal altogether. The Salkins were now sitting with a finished film and no studio to distribute it. Now, side note, Supergirl is to this day the only DC film not to be distributed by Warner Brothers. Now, eventually the Salkins were able to strike a deal with TriStar Pictures, and they agreed to distribute the film. The executives at TriStar were concerned about the film's 124-minute long runtime and trimmed 20 minutes out of the movie. They, of course, could do this because they essentially bought the film from the Salkins. So before the release date was even set, Supergirl was in a bit of a disarray, and the Salkins were extremely upset with the decision to cut scenes from the movie, but they were powerless to stop it. TriStar released Supergirl on July 19, 1984, and the film promptly flopped at the box office, taking in just $14.5 million worldwide. 
Funny little side note here. Because films, even to this day, are not released at the same time worldwide, just two weeks after the film's release in theaters in America, it was already on home video in Japan. Now, TriStar had to serve several injunctions to a lot of different video stores in America that were renting Japanese bootleg copies. Now, eventually, in 2006, Warner Brothers would acquire the rights to Supergirl back again and did release the original 124-minute cut on DVD. But the film did take quite the critical bashing. With Supergirl holding just a 7% on Rotten Tomatoes, critics were unanimous in their disdain for the plot and the horribly bad special effects. However, almost all critics could agree on one thing, and that was Helen Slater was perfectly cast as Supergirl, with many critics stating that she was the only saving grace of the film. Now for the Salkins, this was it. They were done. They were out of the Superman game for good. They sold the rights to the Superman franchise to Canon Films for an undisclosed amount of money. Canon Films would go on to make Superman 4 the quest for peace. But believe me, Superman 4 will get its own episode. Trust me. When Supergirl came out in 1984, I was six years old. And after seeing it, Helen Slater was my first on-screen crush. I can clearly remember taking a cereal box that had a Supergirl tie-in. On one side of the box was Supergirl printed across the whole thing. I remember carefully taking my Fisher-Price scissors and cutting Supergirl off of the cereal box and then taping that cutout on my wall. Yes, I was truly in love with Helen Slater. And look, I watched Supergirl yesterday, and the critics are absolutely right. The effects are awful. The plot is fucking ridiculous. But Helen Slater... Oh, Helen Slater was perfectly cast in this movie. She was not only beautiful, but also strong and extremely kind. As a six-year-old, she was my first hero. As a 39-year-old, she's still pretty awesome. My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening. Eight before nine, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's not who you think. It's Supergirl, that's Superman's cousin, and it's the name of the new movie starring a newcomer, uh, Helen Slater. The National Association of Theater Owners just named her their star of tomorrow, and recently I spoke with Helen Slater about herself and about Supergirl. The first time I went up on the wires, you go around 100 feet in the air, you know, the first time, and all, well, we built up, but there's nothing like when you finally get up You're there. You're crazy, Helen. Oh, I know, no, thank God my mother wasn't there, but because she would have said, get down, you know, you know. Right. But I sang very loud. It was the first, you know, you the first time I went you water skiing, I sang very loud too. You know, getting up on the water skis. I don't know if you ever done it, but yes. And when I went up, I sang. Oh, you mean just? Oh, you mean emotion, just to keep from being sang terrified? Sang just really loudly. <laughs> Which way, down or up? Oh, I don't sing? know. It's so petrifying. I mean, really, the, the, at the point that you let go of the fear, it's wonderful because what what you do is you just tell yourself. The worst that can happen is that you'll die. I mean, that really is the worst. So as soon as you let go of that, you're sure. fine. So as soon as you let go of the possibility yes, I mean, of life continuing, it's you fine. You know, James Dean, 23. I mean, a lot of people died here, so I figure, right. So that is the absolute worst. And then I let go of it, and I had a wonderful time. I mean, I had the best view of England in the world, because we filmed at Pinewood, and it was all in the countryside. And Were you intimidated at all by any of the actors? Because there are a lot of heavy oh. hitters in this cast. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, yes. You know, walking on the set, and there's Peter O'Toole that first day, you know, standing there six foot one like a prince, you know, so proud, and just me, an apprentice, nothing, 19. But he was wonderful. Yeah, right I understand that he wing. was like your teacher, right? You said he was oh, your teacher. Oh, fantastic. What did he do? I mean, he's so phenomenal. Well, the first thing he did, which put me immediately at ease, because I'm a musician, and love, and I write, and all that, and just sat me down in a corner, 
away from everyone on the set and taught me this song that goes in rounds. And for like an hour and a half, all we did was sing. <laughs> we came on the set singing full blast this, you know, the song that he had taught me. And I know hundreds of rounds from, from music, yes, and we would just be singing. And now, he was smart, and he knew he what he could that's do for you. That's a great he, teacher, isn't it? That's because right. they, they, they're sensitive to the. Isn't that fabulous to work with Peter O'Toole? Oh, I oh, know. Yeah. And he, uh, yeah. I understand you met with Christopher Reeve, right? Mm. And talking about the whole thing of the Superman, Supergirl image and all that kind yeah. of thing. And he gave you some advice. What kind of advice did he give you? Well, uh, I, I met him after I finished Supergirl, so really the advice were all afterthoughts. Mm -hmm. But there's a wonderful story, which was uh, after we were filming, finished and all that, we were sitting on Central Park West. It was really, really very, very late at night. And we're sitting in front of the Aldwin Hotel. Do you know where that is on Central Park West? Oh, yeah. Huge, huge hotel, 225 Central Park West. All of a sudden, we're sitting there just talking about, I don't even remember what we're talking about, but six huge fire trucks come out of nowhere and park dead in front of the altar. And all the windows go up, and mothers and children are screaming. They don't know what's going on. You know, a hundred firemen come out getting the hoses, and, you know, and there's Superman, Supergirl, helpless, sitting there, <laughs> unable to do a thing. And he turns, he looks, and he says, well, I guess it's our night off. I said, yeah, I guess it is. What, what are we going to do? Helen, thank you. The How Is This Movie podcast is produced by Dana Buckler for Hidden Productions located in Ocala, Florida. Please follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at How Is This Movie. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash How Is This Movie. Of course, you can always email the show with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, to become a monthly supporter of this podcast and gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else, go to patreon.com slash How Is This Movie. You'll find all the links to our social media in this episode's show notes.